0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get off to the races. All right, Lord, thanks for your goodness, your loving kindness, and um, thank you for today. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, watch over us, keep us safe, and I pray to you, Lord, that um, you would encourage us with uh, with your grace um, and, uh, and with your good news that, that you've earned for us through your life, death, and resurrection. And give us insight in how to lead our kids in a, in a life where they experience the rest of the gospel. So I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start out a little video here. And um, I'm going to tell you guys, I am not, a, I'm a pretty simple person. And um, I watch two episodes of Modern Family five nights a week. Um, And so this is from the episode called Under Pressure. And so today we're going to be talking about, I'll just say, when we ask kids, um, when we ask kids, like, what is the biggest problem that you deal with or that your peers deal with, they unequivocally say that it is a sense of stress and anxiety. That's it. Top number one uncontested anxiety and stress. And so we, we kind of will say that a lot of our high school kids that, you know whenever we have like a small group Bible study we ask you know how are you doing? we do a check in you know highs and lows, rosebud thorn all these kinds of things and um, and we kind of will ask like what's your high, what's your low and very often most often almost every single time um, the the low is I've got a test or I've got a paper it's something related to work and then the high is but that test will be over in four days <laughs> We, uh, we, one. I can remember a couple semesters ago, a kid really not being like not joking around and speaking hyperbolically, said like, you know, what um, what's something that you're looking forward to? What's something that you're dreading? This was on the first week of January, and the student said, I'm dreading the semester, and I'm looking forward to summer. And we kind of dug a little deeper, and she's just like, I mean, it's just like a grind all the time. I feel so much stress, so much pressure. And so um, the thing is, it's like. The single thing that gives us that, the relief from that kind of pressure, from that kind of anxiety, is the gospel. It is knowing that you're enough in Christ. That Christ has forgiven your sins, that he has given you his own righteousness, and he has made you enough before God the Father. And so we're, gonna, um, we're going to, actually I'm going to drop, you know what, sorry Alex, we're not going to do your video today. Don't have enough time for that because some turkey, he wrote the Rally Day skit, went too long. Um, <laughs> But, um, but I'm going to start out with my story, and th- th- my story is like integral to why I'm just like so, oh, this is my 17th year of youth ministry, this is why I'm so into it. And so I was, um, I was and most of y'all heard the story at least a dozen times, so sorry for those of you who've had to, had to hear it, but I was a, um, I was a kid, I, I was an honest-to-goodness Christian going into the third grade. I had like a born-again conversion in the summer after second grade. My understanding of Christianity was um, that you basically, you accept Jesus into your heart and then you just try really, really hard. Like what God wants from you is maximal effort. And so that was me and I was a performance junkie and that was the world I lived in. You know, I, I grew up in an, over the mountain here in Birmingham and I, um, yeah, I was just a performance addict basically. Uh, my senior year of high school and now this is like, this was like robust back in the day. This is pretty normal for a lot of kids now. I took five AP classes. I taught myself an extra AP class. I swam, like, at a competitive level. I swam, you know, anywhere from two to three and a half hours a day in the morning and at night. I um, was vice president of the student body. I was vice president of the uh, Honor Society. I was vice president of, I was on the state board of the Key Club. I wrote for the newspaper staff. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I literally got up at, like, five in the morning. I went to bed at 1130 at night. I usually fell asleep on my homework. And it was just like, I just went all the time, all the time. So I went to college, did did the same thing, finished college a year early, double major, just going all the time, going all the time. I did a master's degree my senior year. And um, during that master's program, I started to have trouble with short-term memory loss. And I was frequently forgetting what I was saying I would be in the middle of the sentence. And, and those of you who work with me, I haven't fully, fully <laughs> emerged from this, right, Rebecca? <laughs> or if you're married to me. <laughs> um, but anyhow, but I mean, I was losing my keys like every day. Um, I would go up the stairs to run an errand uh, in my apartment, you know, to go upstairs, like brush my teeth or, you know, to get something. And I would forget why I walked up the stairs. So I went to go see a counselor, uh, at, like student services. And he's like, you know, you really need to slow down. It's like your life is just too much you know and you need to you need to slow down and you need to do come back and we'll do some decompression exercises and I walked out the door and I was like whatever you know I was like that guy he was wearing a lavender sweater vest did not help his credibility <laughs> didn't help his credibility and if you wear a lavender sweat guys if you wear a lavender sweater vests uh, no shame but it's not going to help your credibility with a 22 year old male um but anyhow so I just totally blew him off and I was just like you know whatever and so, anyhow, from there, I went to go teach. Um, part of my fellowship was to teach. I taught for a year in the inner city, and in the middle of that, I like the stuff that the problems I was having in graduate school started to majorly amp up when I was teaching in inner city Charlotte in North Carolina. And so, I like couldn't sleep very well at night. I was, you know, I was like, my mind was racing all the time. I had this intense knot in my chest all the time, um, and I, yeah, I felt like I was, I, I felt like I was going crazy. So I went to go see my pastor. I was going to this really great church in Charlotte. It was a church plant, and um, and I was hearing about grace. and And by the way, all throughout this, I'm like a go to church every Sunday, go to like the Christian fellowship every week, not drinking Christian kid. So I was, I, I know, I was, I was like in the Christian world, but I just had no concept of what grace was. So my pastor. I give him like a full inventory. He goes, all right, you got two problems. Problem number one is that you are showing all the signs of someone who's about to have a nervous breakdown. He's like, I'm not saying that in a hyperbolic sense, like you are gonna have a nervous breakdown if you try to finish out this year. He said you need to go to a doctor and you need to get a path to resignation as fast as possible. So that was the first thing. He says, but that's actually not the biggest issue. So the bigger issue you have is that You have no idea what the gospel is. He's like, I don't doubt that you're a Christian. Like I I believe that you're a Christian. You seem very sincere in your love for Jesus. But like the gospel is rest. The gospel means that Jesus carries the burden of your life. And the gospel means you'll never have to prove yourself again. And so I felt like I like lived on this treadmill my whole life. And I felt trapped. I felt totally trapped. And um and I just didn't I never felt any permission to do anything but to perform and build the resume and be impressive and spectacular. And he said to me, "This was the thing that changed my life." He says, "Look, the gospel means that God loves you apart from your performance, and like you can work at Cracker Barrel for the rest of your life, and God will love you just the same as you like helping out these kids in the inner city." And I was just like, "What?" <laughs> 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 it just did like not, I'd never, and and I think maybe I'd been maybe people had preached that to me, but it had just never made it to hear. And so anyhow, so after that, thanks be to God, um, two days, we prayed about whether I should resign. Two days later, I had a panic attack. I lost the ability to speak for a month. I could stutter, but I couldn't talk. And I couldn't read for two months. So if you can't talk and you can't read, you're not a very effective 10th grade English teacher. So we resigned. (laughs) We resigned. And it was so interesting because I was like clinically depressed, like resigned, moved back home with mom and dad, like go to the counselor, all of that, taking a break. And at the same time, I had never been so joyful and so free and like had so much, I'd never had so much peace in my entire life. And here I was, you know, like having had to resign from a job, uh, living with mom and dad, I uh, had to take a demotion at Johnny Rockets up at the summit. It's a true story. That's a story for another time. My direct report was a 10th grader at Hoover High School. That's another part of the story. Um, <laughs> it's true. Her name was Michelle. She's the meanest boss I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyhow, but I had this sense of like, hey, I'm a free person. Like, I'm not a slave to the grind, you know? And that doesn't mean that I like stop trying or stop trying to do good work or whatever, but I just had this, this like, uh, switch of gears where I could remember, like, hey, I'm enough. Like, I, like God, I am loved apart from my performance. And so that is part of why, like, I'm so into working with kids because my life was qualitatively so much better after knowing the full gospel of grace, not just for my salvation but for me as a Christian, um, then, you know, it was so much better, even though my circumstances before were really great and after there was a lot of difficulty, but it was just so much better all because of grace. And so that's... um. That is uh, kind of, that is the heart of my passion. But getting to our kids and off of my story, um, the, the most pervasive issue we see kids dealing with is that sense of stress. They do, it does seem like they feel like they're handcuffed to a treadmill and they just cannot get off. And so, um, and you see that anxiety really is an epidemic amongst adolescents today. Um, not and, and don't worry, there's going to be good news here, but here's your freak-out moment. Um, so according to the National Institute of, of Mental Health, um, like 19% of all U.S. Adult, adults suffer from an anxiety disorder, but 32% of boys and 38% of teenage girls struggle with an anxiety disorder. So like the, 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 the incidence of anxiety disorders is twice as high almost amongst adolescents today as it is amongst adults, right? Um, pretty scary. Uh, let's see here. They find that kids who live in affluent suburban areas have twice as high likelihood of anxiety disorders, suicide, depression as kids who live in impoverished areas that have very high crime rates. Okay, kids, kids who like don't know where their next meal is coming from and legitimately worry about whether, you know, someone's gonna break into their house or a bullet's gonna fly through their window, have 50% the anxiety rates of kids who live in suburban areas, who had, you know, upbringings and backgrounds like me. Um, This is startling. The American College Health Association, in 2018, they found that 63% of college students in the U.S. felt overwhelming anxiety in the past year. That's more than three out of five, okay? So this anxiety issue is really, really big. Some of it is exacerbated because of social media and iPhones. That's another class, um, but a lot of it is this performance pressure that kids feel. Um, this kind of arms race that they experience. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at um, we're going to look at Galatians chapter two. But the analogy that I would kind of like to give that I think captures the experience of the teenage student is the NCAA tournament in basketball, or any kind of tournament. I know, sorry, I'm a guy. If, if you feel alienated by sports analogies, I, I don't mean to make you feel on the outside. But this, is, this, this will hopefully illustrate what I think is a normal experience. So, like, if you're in a soccer tournament, um, or you're in, like, the state basketball tournament and volleyball or basketball or whatever it is, you know, it's one of those things where you have to win to make it to the next round, and so there's that pressure because if you lose, you're out, right? And so um, and so with that being said, and also, too, as you play, particularly if you're playing like in the NCAA tournament, there's an audience. You feel you know, people are watching you. And there's the television audience. There are the people in the stands. And so there are four elements here. then this is on your little worksheet if you've got it. There are extras over there, and there's a couple extras in the back, I think. Um, but there are a couple of, of elements uh, that I think are, are helpful to understand. And by the way, as I go through this, I want to say that I am not poo-pooing on the idea of trying hard. I'm not poo-pooing on the idea of excellence. Like, uh, don't say it the whole way. But as I famously said, God is not honored by half effort. Um, uh, you know, like my, my father-in-law was an employer, and he had a police who were big, you know, big Christians. They talked their Christian, and they did a terrible job. They're irresponsible. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And God is not honored by that. They were not being a very good Christian witness. So I do want to say that I am not poo-pooing on hard work and success. Those are okay things. Those are fine. But what I am saying is that the gospel of grace enables a person to pursue excellence and to work hard while having peace and rest in their heart. That's the promise of the gospel is that you can work without growing weary because the burden of Jesus, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The yoke is that we put on ourselves is not easy. The yoke that we put on ourselves is is really, really heavy. And so the four elements coming out of that, um, that coming out of that analogy of life as living in a sports tournament are one, there's a clear standard. Like it's win or lose. It's very clear. There's a a clear standard to live up to. Number two, there's effort. There's striving to live up to the standard. Number three, there's an audience. People are watching you. Uh, And number four... Uh, there's the next game. You gotta make it to the next round. There's this consciousness of the future. What I do in this game, the performance in this game, the success or failure in this game, determines what ha- if I make it to the next game. Okay. And so the reason I use that is because that's that's what kids experience. They they're very clear that there are standards to live up to. Those standards might be social standards, they might be social media standards, they might be standards in athletics, you know, being a starter or being on the bench, making the team, not making the team. There might be standards in in, in academics of, you know, being a national merit finalist or being an AB student or getting into a college or getting into a great college or whatever it may be, They're, they're clear on the standards. Then there's the effort. There is this sense of like, I have got to outwork everyone. I have got to push so hard to measure up. There is so much effort to look a certain way, to be cool, to, you know, to live up to the standard in athletics or academics, whatever it is. There is, it is on me. It is on me. And when you feel like all the pressure is on you, then uh, that, is, that creates a great deal of fear and anxiety, a great sense of pressure. Okay, next, they live with a sense that there is an audience. Whether it's their teachers, their parents, uh, the people in social media, their classmates, there is this sense that there is an audience that is evaluating them. That is much more magnified today than it was, say, 10 years ago. Because in 2013, that's when you have mass adoption of Instagram. Um, And iPhone comes out in 2007 when the iPhone came out. And so, um, as a result of that, this sense of audience is heightened now. Um, and then finally, future. Like, the, it, it's, and I get this, and there's some part of this that's real, you know? Like, if you don't go to class and you never do your homework, like, your future opportunities are going to be limited. Like, there is, you know, <laughs> there is a reality to that. I mean, if you read the Proverbs, the Proverbs do say, like, you know, if, you, you have to be f- responsible, you have to be basically basically responsible in life. So there's something real to that. And that's different than your whole future, your whole well-being, your whole livelihood. It is on you. If it's, uh, it's going to be, it's up to me, right? That's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's antithetical to the gospel. And so anyhow, so these are the factors that are in place. So we're going to look at Galatians 2. And we're going to look at how what Jesus did in his life. And his death, and his resurrection, and his present reign as King—how it is the thing that sets a person free. And so, part of what we're trying to do here is give you a little bit of language that you can communicate to your kids to to help take a little bit of pressure out of the balloon, you know, to help give them a little sense of relief. Okay. And so, um, so starting in, in verse 14, to give you a little context here. On, um, I mean, look at me. I'm just offending everyone left and right. They're all (laughs) leaving. JK, JK, JK. Um, uh, But anyhow, the context here is in the church in Galatia, um, this church had been planted this true message of the gospel that, you know, Christ has done everything in his life and in his death to free you from the wrath of God, to free you from the judgment of God, such that you live entirely under the grace and the favor and the pleasure of God the Father and they had said well it's Jesus plus a little bit more Um, they were saying well actually you know you Gentiles it's good that you put your faith in Jesus but if you're gonna be truly accepted by God you got to do a little bit more you gotta you know you got to follow the dietary laws you got to follow some of the Sabbath rituals and so Paul is saying heck no that is not true that's a lie It's like Jesus plus nothing equals everything, uh, as it's been said. So, starting in verse 14, Paul says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who's Peter, "Uh, In front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So one of the things that he's saying is this was the way of the Old Testament as well, in the sense that atonement and forgiveness came not through uh, not through living perfectly, but it came through um, substitutionary sacrifice by you know by taking uh, you know a lamb or a bird or whatever it may be to the altar and your you know your sins were uh, that that animal was punished for your sins and you lived under the grace of God. That's that's that was the system of salvation in the Old Testament. It, it was a different methodology, but theologically speaking, um, this you know it was still a matter of you know to. To be right with God, it's still a matter of God's grace. It's still a matter of faith and grace. And so, hey, he says, Peter, we know this. You know, we know this. And he says, he uses this word, he says, we know that a person is not justified. Justified by works of the law. And so, this word justification is really, like, right down the center of the Christian faith. And it has two, there are two ends to justification. The first part of justification is that your sins are forgiven. Uh, the things that you've been gone it is they're washed away the second part of justification is what we call imputation imputed righteousness and what that means this this was a this was like a life changer for me I was actually taught this by my wife um, is that uh, Jesus lives a perfect life he gets credit for a perfect life and when you put your faith in Christ the the goodness like the credit for his good life is reckoned to you it's credited to you so it's not just that, like, the bad things that you do are washed away. It's that, you know, the way that Jesus is regarded for living a perfect life, which you call, you know, being righteous, like, you are guarded in that same way. So think about You hear me say this a lot. I'll say this over and over again. But think about if your child were absolutely perfect. Your child never made a mistake, never complained, always did what they were supposed to do, did their homework without asking, told you you were the best parent in the whole world. You know, we have a great deal of pleasure in our very, very flawed children, right? But imagine, think about those moments when your kid is actually really good and how much pleasure you have in your heart. Well, imagine if your child was a superstar all the time. Like there really is a joy and pleasure in that. Well, so Jesus was that way. And that is how God the Father, you know, how he regarded his own son. It's like, oh, he does everything right. Well, he is God, but he has a little bit of an advantage on us. Um, But, you know, think about the pleasure that God the Father had in his son, Jesus Christ, living a perfect life. And so the deal is, is that the credit for a perfect life, righteousness, that's the term for it, is credited to you when you put your faith in Christ. It's not just your sins are forgiven, it's that you're righteous in the eyes of God. So that God has this great pleasure with you that has nothing to do with your performance. Nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with the performance of Jesus. So you, we, are regarded, um, we are regarded based on the performance of Jesus. That's how God relates to us, based on the performance of Jesus. And so with that being said, that is something that sets a person free. That is how you validate to your child that you are actually loved apart from your performance by God. And that's not just like an abstraction but like when we can say no, no, no. Like Jesus lived. He didn't just die for your sins. He also lived perfectly for you. Something that we say to the teenagers is kind of like our, you know, you know, at the end of a, at the end of a worship service, they so go into the world to love and serve the Lord. At the end of youth group, we say, hey guys, we want you to know that Jesus has already lived this life. This week, Jesus has already lived it perfectly for you. Like you're you're a free person. Jesus lived it perfectly on your behalf. You do not have to be perfect this week. And that's the kind of that's the kind of message that. Uh, that gives a person freedom from anxiety and freedom from pressure. Um, and hey, it creeps back within 30 minutes, right? But that's why we learn the language of the gospel so we can preach it to ourselves. Um, okay, so then going on in verse 17. Um, well, sorry, before I go in there too, well, no, we gotta keep on rolling. Turkey shouldn't have written such a long skit. You wanna be, be pressed for time. Okay, number 17 but if in seeking to be justified in Christ we find we Jews find ourselves also among sinners doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sins absolutely not if i rebuild what i destroyed then i really then i really would be a lawbreaker for the law for through the law i died to the law so that i might live for for god so something that kind of makes us nervous as parents is if we tell our kids hey listen there's nothing you can do to make god not love you there's, you know, like, you, everything has been paid for, here for eternity. Um, we worry that our kids are going to be like, sweet, let's go smoke some weed, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, right? That's reasonable, you know? And so, and that's a pretty human reaction. That's definitely a very adolescent reaction. Um, but Paul says, no, Jesus isn't saying go sin. I mean, sin's self-destructive. And... He reminds us in the next verse is that like you're in a relationship with Jesus. You're like you're married to Jesus and like sin messes up that relationship and messes up your relationship with other people. Don't do that. So Paul is saying like, hey, sin is not in your best interest. I'm not saying just go sin wildly and be self-destructive. Um, he's, he is, you know, he's, he is kind of reminding us that that's not the message here. The message here is you live for Christ. Like you realize what Jesus has done for you and you realize how much he sacrificed, but also how much he's given you. And so you have this affection for Jesus that hopefully motivates us to live lives that are, you know, that are faithful to love and serve him and be obedient to his law. And so then he says, you know, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So my sinful self was carried with Jesus through his life and his death and his resurrection. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me like Jesus lives in my heart. I'm unified with Christ and the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When he says I live by faith, another way we can say this is I live with rest. I live with a sense of peace in my heart. I live with a sense of freedom. That's, that's what my, you know, my pastor, going back to what he said to me, the gospels rest. The gospel means that Jesus carries the burden of your life. The gospel means you'll never have to prove yourself again. And so I feel like the way I lived and so many of our kids live is they wake up every morning to try to prove themselves and to try to impress people. That was me. Um, And so he is saying, no, no, no. Like, I can live in rest because Jesus loves me and he died for me. And that love is apart from my performance. I'm free. And then finally, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so the thing uh, that I think is so key is like the standards are real. The standards are real, and they are in our face and in our kids' faces all the time. You know, I mean, the uh, I was reading something yesterday about, you know, Instagram and teenage psychology, and it was, they were talking about how, like, how the issues with uh, body image that it particularly creates for young women. Because, like, you know, there are filters and different ways that people can manipulate the picture that make them look in ways that are not real. And yet, the teenager doesn't know that. The teenager sees this image on Instagram, and they're like, that's how I'm supposed to look, and I don't look like that, right? And they feel this sense of condemnation. And, um, and so, like, those, those standards are all a lie. Those standards are all a lie. Like, the standard that matters is, like, being righteous before a holy God. And the, that sense of righteousness, and we define righteousness to our kids as, like, enoughness. Like, you're enough. You're enough. There's nothing you can do to be better. There's nothing you can to do to, to be worse. You're enough, and that is permanent. That's static. Um, but that righteousness cannot be gained through the law. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's something that God gives you. He gives you this sense of being enough, that you're free from all these standards um, and these ways that we're condemned. And so, to land the plane, uh, I just want to go through these last these standards, these last four things, and I'm going to do this in one minute because that's the time I have. All right. First off, the standard. Ultimately, the standard that we care about is being righteous before a holy God. And, and, like, Jesus has knocked down that standard. He has, he has made us, he has made us um, righteous in his eyes. Second, effort. Like, there's restful effort. That's that, that may be a good word to use with your kids. Restful effort. Effort at peace. Like, it is a good thing to try your hardest. That honors the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. It says in Ecclesiastes, whatever you do, do it with all your might. And... You don't have to do it feeling like the weight of the world and the weight of your future is all on your shoulders. Like, it's on the shoulders of Jesus. He's the king. Your life belongs to him. What is our only hope in life and death? We are not our own, but belong to God. And, um, and so we can try hard, but do it with peace in our heart because we're enough in Christ. We start enough. We start, we, we, we start to try coming out of the place of our enoughness, out of our righteousness. We start there, and then we try knowing that we're enough in Christ. Audience, I mean, this is a whole nother class, but like we see here, it talks about how Paul talks about, um, the grace of God and, you know, one way of thinking about the grace of God is that God has a favorable disposition towards you. God looks at you with pleasure. And so their kids, I mean, that audience is so, so real at so many, I mean, elementary school lawn, baby, it's real, uh, but it's very intense in middle school and still pretty intense in high school. It's just to say like, hey, look, there is one audience, audience of one, and that audience is God the Father, and he's pleased with you. Like he has a smile on his face towards you. And so to, know, to try to get God the Father and his pleasure with you as the primary audience of life, that's something we wanna explicitly communicate to kids. And then finally, the future, like, you know, he says that, he says that, you know, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Just reminding kids, like, your life belongs to God. Uh, well, that's the that's the you know if you do the new city catechism that 's the first question, what is our only hope in life and death? we are not our own but belong to God. Just reminding our kids like your life belongs to the Lord, you know I promise you, I promise you when I got into Wake Forest, I was not like I was not thinking like boom i 'm going to be a youth pastor for seventeen years. that was not the plan you that was not what I was going for, and like i 'm so pleased i'm so content um uh, and and yeah it's and and my life belongs to the Lord and your child's life belongs to the Lord, your life belongs to the Lord. And for them to not feel the sense that their, their future, their livelihood, that it's all on them. But to know that like be a responsible person and know that your life belongs to God. Like it's in his hands, your future is in the hands of the Lord. And so that also gives them the sense of rest. So all I have, we are two minutes late. I'm going to pray for us. If anybody wants to stand around the water cooler and chat, love to talk. If you don't have one of these purple books, we'd love for you to grab one. Um, let me pray for us. All right, Father in heaven, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for this uh, this good news um, of, your, of, of your perfect love for us and of the perfect life you lived for us and that you cleansing death on the cross for our sins. We thank you most of all that it's real, that it's true, God. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us the faith to really believe it and for us to... Have a sense of peace and rest in our lives, but also in the lives of our children. And give us wisdom, God, how to, in a loving way that's not preachy, um, but that's really natural and organic, to just communicate this good good news to our kids that they might um, live in the peace and the rest of Jesus. And they might, as a result of that, love Jesus more and more, and that would transform their lives. So we trust you. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.